Virtual Band Director Conference. This is a 24-7 resource for you, band directors all over the world. I'm your host, John Liner. Let's get this party started. Chopping it up, a conversation with composer Randall Standridge. All right, folks, it's that time again. We are here with the Virtual Band Director Conference. I want to thank you all for being here. Happy Teacher Appreciation Week. How about it for ourselves? Uh, We do a lot of hard work, especially in this time of the year, uh, with everything that's going on with the COVID and having to do the online teaching. So thank you guys for being here. Today, we have a very special guest, something that we haven't ever done with the Virtual Band Director Conference. We have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, educator and composer. We have Mr. Randall Standridge with us. So I hope hope everybody is doing well, uh, you know, out in uh, Zoom land, as it were. Very excited to be here. So I hope I'll be able to provide you with entertainment, if nothing else. You know, something I know we're all craving. I want to jump right in and folks, we'll have a Q&A towards the end. So if you have questions, you can shoot them my way. Uh, and when we get to the Q&A, we'll, we'll be happy to get to them for you. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, by the way, with the Q&A, uh, something you'll probably discover during this time, I am the least shy person you will ever meet in your life. Um, so please feel free to ask me whatever. Um, I may not give you the answer you want, but I will give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. All right. So w- with you, Randall, how did you start getting into music? Like we all have a story. So what, what's your story? How'd you get into it? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I wish my story was a little more interesting, but it's really boring. Um, so, I mean, probably like many of you, you know, I mean, I grew up and uh, my first, my two first big um, like experiences with music were my family. Um, my family is really into folk music and everything. And I know that makes us sound like a bunch of hillbillies. I mean, we are from Arkansas and I'm very proudly from Arkansas. But, you know, like a lot of my uncles and um, cousins played guitar, uh, banjo, things like that. And, you know, singing, playing piano. So I was just around music a lot. It was just kind of part of my world. And then, um, of course, you know, getting into band um, when I was in school uh, and getting to do music every day, those were my big, like, you know, jumping in points. Um, So, um, yeah, I was just... Did, did that, uh, went to college to get a music education degree and was composing on the side. I've been composing since I was like about 10 years old. Now, when I say that, please do not conjure images of Mozart um, because like we're not talking about symphonies or anything like that. I mean, we're talking about like little melodies, little you know rhythmic figures, things like that. Um, so it was just a hobby. And uh, when I got into college, I continued with um, – with uh, studying it, and uh, I studied with Dr. Tom O'Connor at Arkansas State University, um, and uh, tangentially studied with uh, Jared Spears as well. He was the main composition teacher, but since I was just doing it as, as like a part-time thing, um, they put me with Dr. O'Connor, which I'm not sorry about. It's nothing against uh, Dr. Spears. Dr. Spears was great, but um, Dr. O'Connor was very like practical. Like, you know, this is how you create a piece that works for groups. This is how you do this. Um, so he was a very, like, no-frills kind of person, just this is what works. And um, so then I, you know, I became a band director. I was a band director for 12 years in Harrisburg, Arkansas. And um, looking back, like, you know, it's one of these things, like, when you look through your life, you'll have experiences that you don't know are going to be so beneficial at the time. But, like, when I first took the job at Harrisburg, it just seemed like a nightmare. <laughs> Um, here, let me th- describe the situation I walked into at my first and first and only teaching job because I stayed at that school uh, my entire. It was just you know I mean the teaching that had been going on was not good and I'm not trying to speak ill of my predecessors but the students level was just not good and also like I was the only band director and when I say only I don't just mean like only at the high school like I taught the fifth grade recorder band. Uh, sixth grade beginning band, seventh and eighth grade uh, junior high band, and then ninth or twelfth high school band. Um, and I did all of that myself uh, for eight years until they finally hired me an assistant the last uh, few. And uh, during all this time, I was composing, writing for my kids, writing for marching bands. I'm a big, for those of you that don't know, I'm a big like marching band design person as well. And um, started getting published, and uh, things just kind of happened and. Uh, 
then uh, you know I started getting some recognition for my composing and marching band stuff. And I don't have to tell y'all how busy being a band director is because I mean you know yeah doing all the composing and stuff was great, but being the only band director at my situation for so many years, you know I was doing private lessons, um, you know performances, games, meetings, you know everything, just all that and trying to manage a, a composition career on top of that. And it just got to be where there was no personal time. And so I made the decision to go full-time composition, uh, not because I didn't enjoy teaching. I loved teaching. And um, if you know my career, my composition career ever kind of fades out, I will happily go back to teaching because I, I, I really did enjoy it. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, uh, so that's kind of where we are now. And then I guess the rest, as they say, is history. Minus any gaps you wish for me to fill in, you know. Oh no, we're we're gonna dig in a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna get to it. But okay, that's fine. <laughs> what what instrument did you start out on? Well, unofficially, I started on piano, um, and that was like teaching myself. Because um, again, you know, being around my family and everything, you know, I just the piano kind of and me kind of got together. When I got in uh, band, I I, um, I became a percussionist. So yes, I are a percussionist. Um, and if you can see behind me um, in my office, uh, yeah, I could tell if the middle school directors really got that one. I, I know that. Um, but uh, you can see behind me, I actually have a marimba in my office. Um, and uh, it's my pride and joy. It's five octaves. Um, and because uh, I missed playing it so much because I, 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 play, I love playing marimba, especially four mallets, things like that. Um, so that's my main instrument. And so you, I know you played through middle school, played through high school, and did your comp composition start at the same time you started playing, or was it a little bit later, like in your high school? Um, it was actually earlier. Um, I mean, I was, like, even before I was in band, I was writing melodies and picking things out by ear. You know, a little bit, I know I was training myself in theory and all this stuff. I just didn't know, what, it, was, it was like having a lot of facts with no names for anything. Yeah. Because, like, I knew how chords should go. I knew, I knew how things should go, but I just didn't know what it was called. And so when I got into music theory and they're like, oh, you know, this is a, um, you know, this is a plagal cadence or this is a, you know, authentic. I was like, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> no, you know, but I, I had a name for it. Um, so, uh, but like, I remember the, the first piece I ever like finished. Cause again, it was a lot of just little fragments. Um, the first piece I ever like officially wrote, um, I wrote a cadence for my ninth grade junior high drum line. And, uh, that was kind of where it all started. And then later that year, my director, um, a very, very great guy named Michael Ferguson, um, allowed me to write a percussion ensemble for us to take to festival. Um, and it was terrible. Like I've still got it. I still got the original sheet music, um, you know, in a, in a folder tucked away and it's bad. It's really, really bad, but it's a start. And it, but you know, it was amazing how I just had these little opportunities to write things like that through high school with my directors. And, um, to this day, I am so thankful to them and, and still talk to them uh, all the time. We're all friends on Facebook. I always keep them updated with what I'm doing. And, um, but, you know, those little opportunities led to where I am now, and I'm just so grateful for it. And now you got into high school, you did some comp composing there. Did you continue doing compositional studies in college, or did you think you were going to be a band director? Well, I mean, you know, the intention was always to be a band director, um, and that's what I did. So my undergraduate is in music education, and, uh, which I did at Arkansas State University, uh, Go Red Wolves. But um, the, uh, um, during that time, I was just taking lessons in composition for fun. Just, um, I, I was very spoiled. In this, so this is going to make me sound way more impressive than I'm not. But um, like I, got a, I, was, I had a full academic ride to college, so I was going to college for free. So, um, so uh, I, yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, that class looks interesting. I think I'll take that. It's like, oh, composition? Sure, why not? You know, and um, so that's kind of how that got going. And then um, the uh, composition professors were very impressed with my ability. And I mean, I was, I was very serious about it because, I mean, I was very serious about all my classes. So, you know, I was about composition too. Even though it wasn't my major, I was just like, this is just really fun. Um, and so they were extremely encouraging to me and, you know, and kind of took me way beyond just doing a, uh, you know, a partial degree in composition. Like I was writing full, 
you know, huge pieces by the time I was done with my undergrad. And then eventually I did return to Arkansas State and do a master's in composition, like specifically focusing on that. And for people who have either they have students that are in middle school, high school that are writing, or even people that are in college that are writing, do you have any, any advice for those people that want to eventually go on to be professional? Um, well, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest advice, I mean, for, for teachers talking to composition students, I would be is just um, to give them real critique. Um, you know, I think sometimes the worst thing you can do is to – um, just, you know, kind of pat somebody on the head and be like, oh, well, that's impressive because they do need guidance. Um, and, uh, and it's one of these things where you have to temper criticism with being constructive, uh, which my directors were always great about. Like they would tell me things that they wanted me to fix or to look at, or that could be better. But, um, but, you know, it wasn't done in a destructive manner. Um, it was very, you know, this is how we fix this. But they also didn't just, you know, say, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's neat that you're composing, but don't bother us with this. Um, so, you know, and keeping in mind that this was uh, before the internet, that was, by the way, that was how I knew that I was getting to be an old teacher when I was teaching, when I had to start so many of my lessons with before the internet. Some of y'all probably recognize that. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, um, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the internet and so much technology and information available now, um, you know, it's so great to, and easy to be able to help composition students, um, you know, show them scores, show them uh, YouTube videos about how to produce music, show them, um, you know, show them use score or things like that. Um, now, having said that, um, you know, it's not every composer is going to end up being you know, Mozart. And that's fine. They don't have to be. Um, the biggest reason people should compose is because they enjoy it. I mean, I was writing long before I was getting published or anything. I just did it because it brought me joy, and that's why I still do it. Um, I mean, every time I sit down to work on a piece, it's just a blast. So you go from college as, a, you know, getting your music degree and everything, and then you go to be a professional, you get your first job and you have a really interesting first job and you kind of started talking about it, but can you describe like the, the size of the program, kind of the, give it, give us the runaround or not the runaround, but give us the, the detail oh, yeah. of what that was like. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, and the thing is, I think once you achieve a certain level of success, people have this idea about you that, Oh, you know, you must've taught at a big school. So here was my first band. Uh, my very first band uh, was 18 wins and four percussion. Um, and out of the entire band, I would say three of the kids could play really well. Um, and, the, and the other ones were practically beginners. And so that was what I started with. And uh, the, so in Arkansas, I, I, I mean, I, I know we've got a lot of uh, states and everything represented here. So um, I'll try to make this make as much sense as part possible. Um, so for those of you out there that do a rating system, like, you know, superior, excellent, good things like that. Uh, in Arkansas and in many states, you know, we do the Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, Division Four, Division Five. Um, the band that I took over, um, Harrisburg, the year, the last time they had been to a concert festival um, before my tenure, they had gotten or they had received straight fives. I don't even know how you receive straight fives, but they managed to do it. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I th my, 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 my college director had a saying, and I really believe it. He's like, you know, you get a three on accident. You have to try to get a four or a five. Um. So, uh, it's, and sorry if that insults everybody that bad, that's just, yeah, but I mean, it was like, I mean, I've never seen straight fives like ever. Um, so that's what we started with. And, uh, the first year we did a lot of basic training, played grade one music, um, went to concert festival and, uh, and, uh, received a, a composite two, which I was thrilled about. Um, and then uh, the next year, we you know finally got a Division One rating. Um, but the next year, the band was even smaller because my because you know um, I had a lot of kids quit because the standards were a little too high, uh, you know based on what they'd been doing. 
Um, and so my very first marching band that I took to contest had 10 wins and four percussion. And so that's the kind of program I came from. I mean, it eventually got a lot better. We really built it up and it became a really great program. But uh, those first those first two years were pretty scary, um, but it, it started to get better on that third year. It got consistently better after that. And how did you do that? How did you go from a program that was getting fives at contests to something where it was eventually sustainable. You stayed there for 12 years and had quite a bit of success. Well, I mean, to be honest, I just worked my ass off. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure like a lot of y'all do. Um, the, uh, the, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I just basically focused on the fundamentals. Um, you know, to me, the big things I focused on to improve the program, uh, we really focused on improving tone, first of all. Um, I am a little bit of a, of a tone, uh, you know, stickler for that uh, because to me, like you can play an entire piece really well, but if the tone is bad, the entire thing sounds bad. So the you know first thing was we focused on getting good sounds, and then the second thing was just um, really focusing in on individual um, literacy, like music literacy, uh, because that was really lacking in the program. Um, and so we did those focuses and you just gradually built the skills up. Uh, plus I also asked a lot of questions. Like I didn't, I don't want to pretend that I did all of this on my own. I had some fantastic mentor teachers that dedicated a lot of time to answering questions, to providing pointers. Um, and I was not shy about asking because I, I never assumed that I had the answer. I was like, you know, I need to learn. I need to make this better. And if I ever ran into a roadblock, I asked. And, and kind of like you said, and I kind of mentioned a little bit uh, earlier, you'd been there for 12 years and then you got into composition full time. How did you, how did you know it was time to go full time composition? What, what made you make that switch? Uh, well, the, um, I mean, the biggest reason to make the switch, I really wasn't the, the composition itself because I was already doing that, you know, pretty well. But again, kind of like what I alluded to earlier, um, it just got to where I was working every waking hour of the day and even weekends, because if I wasn't band directing, I was writing for commissions, I was writing for publishers, um, or I was uh, designing marching band shows. And it just got to a point where, um, you know, I, I think everybody has to kind of decide the kind of life they want. And to me, I mean, yes, I'm a composer, but that is one small part of my life. I mean, I'm also a husband. I'm a friend to a lot of people. I'm a, you know, a dog daddy. You know, I've got <laughs> pets to mess with. I've got other hobbies. I mean, I've got a life outside of the job. And um, at the time, there was just no time for anything else. And so the, you know, the biggest reason was that. Now, as far as how it happened, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it, you know, I, I did what I call doing the hustle. I mean, you know, I had gotten my music out there. I yeah, well, first of all, the biggest thing is I concentrate on writing good music um, because it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm just going to be honest, there's a lot of bad music out there. I'm not going to name names because that would be shady as hell. But, um, you know, there's just a lot of bad music. And um, so I, you know, I wanted to make sure that the music I was writing was good. Um, and then I also just tried to conduct myself in a professional manner. I mean, definitely, you know, still being true to my personality because I have a sense of humor and I'm kind of a, a big personality. but you know, but there's ways to do that and still be professional and still be approachable and kind. Um, and that's what I strive to do. I'm not going to say I'm always successful, but you know, that, that is the goal. Um, but between that and the marching band design that I do, because marching band is a very lucrative uh, side gig. Um, between those two things, I was able to, uh, to make it work. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I double checked and triple checked the finances like crazy before making the jump um, to, you know, just to make sure that I'd be able to survive on it. And um, yeah, seven years later, it's still going really strong. And I started my own publishing company last year and uh, bought a marching band company. And uh, so things are just good minus the pandemic. Right. And speaking of congratulations on purchasing the, uh, the, the company, but one thing that I, I wanted to ask you about was Grand Mesa Marching. Love the stuff that's coming out of there. What's the, what is your, what's the idea behind Grand Mesa Marching? Uh, well, kind of like what I said a second ago, and I know this is going to make me sound like a jerk, but I mean, there's just a lot of bad music out there, and that goes double for marching band. Um, 
so uh for me like when i um you know i had to write a lot of music for uh for my marching band because it was so small but the thing is if you look at a lot of publishers that put out music for small marching band it's almost insulting now i'm not talking about whether it being easy or whatever but the biggest thing is it's boring it's just boring 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 no consideration for effect no consideration for colorful orchestration and um you know they do that really well for like the grade four and five the really big bands like boa style but there is a real need for it in the what i call the mid-level bands you know the bands that just compete regionally or locally uh, there's no reason why they can't have good effect and there's no reason why small to mid-sized bands can't create big effect and have good concepts and the second thing too is we try to do shows that are audience friendly um, now that doesn't mean like it's pop music obviously but I, I do think your audience has to be in on whatever you're performing um you know the effect you create can have lots of um flavors it could be you know just exciting and kind of you know fist pumping type thing it could be emotional it could be humorous um there's lots of ways to create effect um and i just don't think a lot of you know, people for, that write for small groups keep that in mind that they are capable of doing that. And so, um, I mean, we do write for, you know, shows that are very friendly for large ensembles as well, but we really started with, like, focusing on that mid to smaller band that needed shows that created good effects so they could be competitive. Yeah, and you're so right. There's so much music out there, but not all of it is of, of quality. So that's the things, if you guys haven't seen or heard about Grand Mesa Marching, please check that out. Uh, no, Mr. Stanridge did not pay me to say that, <laughs> but it's some really, really fantastic oh. music. Um, now, a part of your of what you do, you do commissions. You write music for uh, for people, um, and you know, work out how it's going to sound and everything like that. Um, how how does a band director go about getting a commission, particularly with you? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I can't speak for all composers, but I think that, you know, obviously, the biggest thing is just, you know, to make that first contact. Um, and you, you just contact the composer. I know for myself, the uh, the biggest issue I run into with doing commissions for groups um, is just time. Um, the fir My first question when somebody, you know, contacts me is, you know, what is your time frame? When do you want this to be due? Um and then I look through my production calendar, and if I have time, I'll you know I'll agree to it. And if I don't, I I'm very honest with them that you know because I, I never want to agree to uh, to a project that I can't complete by the time somebody needs it. Because um, again, I just I don't think that's very professional, and um, you know, that's just how I feel about that. Um, but so the, you know the first thing is to do that, and then the second thing is to discuss the price. I mean, every composer will have a different price point, and um, you know, you need to make sure that it fits with your budget. And I mean, I have had situations where, um, you know, my price would not fit with somebody's budget and that's fine. I never take it personally. Um, but, um, but anyway, you know, you just do that. And then the other thing too, is you really need to know what type of commission you want. And here's what I mean by that, because what, what I want to give everybody out there this bit of advice, please don't ever try to micromanage your composer because I've had this situation more than once. Um, where people are basically wanting to compose by proxy, like they've got this whole outline for a piece and they just want me to write. Um, that's not going to be because the, the way I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Like somebody could give me an outline like that and they could also give it to Julie Giroux, give it to, you know, John Mackey, give it to Brian Bell, just give it to all of us. And you would get four wildly different pieces because we are all very different people. We all have very different life experiences and we all have different aesthetic points of view. Um, so when I say what type of piece, you know, you know, you want, you just need to be, I would keep it as general as possible. Like, you know, do you want a lyrical piece? Do you want a, um, you know, do you want a, uh, suite? Do you want a symphony? Do you need a concerto? Uh, guidelines like that. But if you are hiring somebody to do a commission, then you are basically saying to them that I trust you and I respect your artistic integrity. Um, you know, so, uh, that, you know, I, the, I can say without hesitation, the best commissions I've ever written, um, were the ones where people just said, write whatever you want to. And now obviously that's not going to be appropriate for every situation. For instance, if you are writing a piece that's a memorial piece, which is a 
very popular subgenre of music because like if somebody passes and people want to memorialize them, that's really important information in the piece. Um, and you know, that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, or if, you know, if you're specifically commissioning a march, you know, that needs to be some of the information. But I think the more you let composers be creative, um, it's really good. I want to give you a story about that, by the way. Um, so I've got this piece, uh, this piece out called the witching, called the witching hour. And, um, the way it was written, I received a commission from a group and that the instructions were write whatever you want to. And so I did, I wrote the witching hour, um, delivered it to the group. About two hours later, I get a phone call and the phone call basically boils down to, um, this is not what we expected. And I was like, well, you know, you said write whatever you want to. And then they said, they said the one thing that has like become the bane of my existence. They're like, well, we were really hoping for something like adrenaline engines. <laughs> and I was just, I mean, well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just like then freaking buy adrenaline engines. Like I don't want to ride it again. You know, it's so, um, anyway, uh, so, um, but I ended up writing them something, you know, something else because they, they, they just wanted something fast and exciting. And so that became the piece uh, now known as Kinetic Dances. That's hilarious. That is absolutely hilarious. And your writing is taken on so many different life forms, like so many different, yeah, life forms as you've, as you've progressed as a composer, which is it's really incredible to, to see and hear and, and be a part of. Um, one thing- Well, yeah, I, okay, well, and I can, um, I can speak, Oh, I was just gonna say, I can speak to that uh, for a moment because um, one thing I, I get asked sometimes for, for the people that actually dig into my library, one thing they're usually impressed with is how many genres it covers. Um, because like, if you go through my composition library, you know, a lot of people don't know that I have like 130 concert works published. Um, and uh, out of those, I mean, it runs the gamut from overtures to marches to orchestral sounding dances to things that are very modern. You know, I just uh, published a piece last year that's for um, wind ensemble vocalist and slam poet. That's uh, called Stonewall 1969. And it is wild. Um, and um, yeah, but I mean, all, yeah, I write in all genres. And I think one of the reasons for that is the real way I got my biggest start in composing was as a marching band arranger. And when you're a marching band arranger, you have to be comfortable with every genre of music because you could be writing Broadway, you could be writing movie music, you could be writing rock, rap, country, hip hop, I mean, everything. And so, um, you know, when you learn to write in those genres, you gather all those skills about rhythm, about orchestration, about how to communicate that genre. And it just becomes another tool. And because of marching band, I've got a very broad tool belt. Yeah, and even your for your works, it's like you write everything from grade one to grade six, and it's quality music. It's it's really impressive. It really is. Mm -hmm. Well, thank, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's like yes, thank you. I'll take it. No, um, but another one of the things that I have absolutely loved, like your your clinician, you go out and you'll help bands. Uh, one of the things that I've loved in the past year, you've put out a, a couple Facebook posts that are like. Band directors, before I come into your band hall, here's some things you should probably think about working on with your kids. Um, and everything is just so spot on. So could you share with us some of the things that, as band directors, we should be working on with our students to build their ability levels? Oh, yeah. Well, and I'll try to keep this as short as possible because, um, I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, but, um, I mean, you know, the big thing is just, like I said, a real focus on fundamentals. Um, I think there are two, if you boil band directing philosophy, well, not just band directing, but music education, down to two basic philosophies, um, it, it basically boils down to two things. And that is, uh, you've got a group of people that are trying to, to um, build better players by having a great ensemble, and you've got people who are um, trying to build a better ensemble by having great players. Um, I started my career in that first group and I ended my career in the second group and I'm pretty opinionated about it now <laughs> um, because I, I really think um, the, uh, the thing that I, you know, when I go out and visit groups, um, I see, 
you know, third chair clarinet players, third chair, or not third chair, third part clarinet players, third chair trip players, you know, bottoms of sections, they can barely read music. And so um, the big thing, you know, I say to directors is we've got to be developing the music literacy of all the students and we've got to have strategies for doing this. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to kid everybody. I mean, it's challenging, you know, because I mean, we're an ensemble class. That's what we do. Um, so, you know, that's, um, but, you know, taking everything to the individual player with, in regards to tone, in regards to um, rhythmic stability, um, in regards to, um, you know, just being able to read the music, that's the biggest thing. Now, beyond that, um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, some, uh, war I, I think having a good fundamental warm-up that is active, um, where the students are engaged and it's not just, oh, we're just, you know, doing this same old thing again. Um, I think that's really important because that's your chance every day to really hit those fundamentals. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as the checklist, I mean, you know, every day you need to be checking tone and if you hear something wrong, it needs to be addressed. Um, same thing in regards to tuning, uh, in regards to balance and um, in regards to absolute rhythm, making sure that students are interpreting rhythm 100% correctly, um, interpreting dynamics, interpreting articulations. I mean, it's, it's just really just the fundamentals. Um, that's the, I mean, to me, it's funny that the longer I've done where I've clinicked and you know, even the longer I taught, the job got simpler and simpler because I just realized that, you know, if I focused on those things, then the rest of it would take care of itself. Absolutely. And one, one thing, and I, I hate to go back and forth, but I want to jump back to music because I j just came to my mind. Oh, it's fine. One of my absolute favorite pieces from you is the nine. Can you tell us a little bit about the nine? Oh yeah. Um, the nine for me was a big turning point in my composition. I mean, I just wrote it four years ago. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things I've struggled with in my career is, getting people to take my more advanced music seriously um, because there's that perception that, you know, you're a middle school composer, which is ridiculous. I mean, not just for me, but for anybody that writes because, you know, you know, we've, we can write at pretty much any level, you know? And so I was very happy. I've been kind of seeking out um, commissions that are on the grade four five and six level just to try to prove myself and, and to get a larger library and portfolio to show people. Um, now, Going back to the question of the nine, um, it, uh, in 2016, uh, the uh, Little Rock Central High School Band decided to commission a work um, in honor of the anniversary of um, the successful integration of Little Rock Central High School. So for those of you that may or may not know the whole story, I'll give you the very short version. This is the Reader's Digest version, and there's more to it, but uh, here's like the, the short version. Um, in 1957, um, after uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, uh, nine um, African-American students were selected to integrate into Little Rock Central High School. Um, and the governor of the state at the time um, activated the National Guard to block them from entering. And so it became this very big flashpoint of racism and you know, progress versus regression and things. And um, the president at the time, um, President Eisenhower, federalized the National Guard and made them protect the students. Um, so that, now there's, again, way more to the story, but that's like the, the you know, two-minute recap. Um, so the piece, it... it uh, they asked me to write a piece about it, and it, I was very excited because, you know, they wanted a grade four and something really dramatic, and I was like, good, this, you know, this is a great chance. But as I started working on it, I ran into a big problem that, that is, it was like I never thought about it until I started working on the piece. And um, that was, you know, I started working on the piece, and I was trying to think of ideas and how to, how to approach it, and I realized I am a 40-year-old white guy trying to tackle this very African-American experience. And that realization stopped me in my tracks. I mean, it was just like, it, it was, it was the closest thing I've ever gotten to writer's block. And I would, I would call it more just about like self-consciousness because one thing I decided I did not want to do with the piece was try to speak for the nine. Like I didn't want to try to say, Oh, I'm saying what they felt and what they said, because I could never know that. And um, so I had to, you know, think my way around. It's like, okay, so how do I comment on this 
from my perspective and still be authentic, but not, you know, presume to speak for anybody. And um, so I eventually just kind of settled on the more universal aspect of this idea of the, the, um, the Little Rock Central Nine incident being a moment where people are forced to look at themselves and really be like, you know, what type of world do we want to create? What type of society do we want to live in? And so it became, you know, I mean, now granted, this is a classic, um, a classic uh, artistic uh, expression, but it became, you know, this like the good nature of man versus the bad nature of man. And um, so the piece itself, it starts off with a, uh, an original spiritual that I wrote called uh, Show Me the Light. And uh, it is eventually interrupted um, by these opposing voices that are very militaristic and organized. And, you know, the whole thing battles out until the, um, the uh, hymn emerges again at the end triumphant, although the piece dies away and ends very ambiguously. And here's the reason for that, because on the first draft of the the piece ended triumphantly. Like it was this big chord and just boom, you know, yeah, very, very happy ending. Now I want to go back to what I originally said. And before anybody starts to get offended, please let me finish my statement. Um, I wrote this piece in 2016 and that's very important to how the piece turned out. Um, because, you know, during 2016, we had the, uh, the election going on. And regardless of what side of the fence you're on, like, I'm not going to preach to anybody about, you know, whatever. But I think one thing we can all agree on, no matter which side we're on, is that that was a very, very ugly year socially. I mean, people just screaming at each other, this just, you know, and everything. And all these feelings and thoughts that people had thought were gone kind of bubbled to the surface. Um, and uh, unfortunately, some negative elements of society became empowered. Um, you know, and felt okay to express themselves. And so because of that, I changed the ending um, because, you know, it's, I, I think it would be wrong to end triumphantly when there is still so much progress that we as a society need to make in our approach to each other. Um, and so, uh, you know, whenever I talk about the piece, I always have to preface it with, you know, well, I wrote it in 2016, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's so fascinating, especially how you, the, changing the ending and we do have a lot of work to do um and i'm not here to be a social justice mm -hmm. warrior but there's so much work left to do in this world uh and we have a great opportunity to do that um yeah well i i, I personally don't think you have to be on one side or the other to just be like i need to make the world a better place you know and i do that with my actions every day absolutely absolutely um a little, little bit lighter for for band for our band director chops, uh, what are your suggestions or recommendations for programming when we're programming uh, for like a contest? Um, well, the biggest thing I would say for programming for a contest um, is to uh, be very very realistic about your group, um, about your strengths and weaknesses, and the time frame in which you have to work. Um, you know, the, uh, my, my philosophy as a director when I taught was always um, to challenge in private, succeed in public. And so, um, you know, we would be doing etudes and solos and things that were a lot harder than our literature uh, for concert contest to develop those individual players. But, we, you know, I would program music that was, you know, just hard enough to push them a little bit, but that I was positive we could succeed with. Um, so the big thing is to make sure that you um, you program with your group in mind and with your strengths and weaknesses in mind. Um, second thing is um, I think it's really good to make sure that your pieces contrast. I know in, in certain states that's like a requirement, but not at all. But, you know, if you're going to program, um, you know, one of the old war horse pieces, I think by contrast, you should program something more contemporary that has a completely different sound. Um, you should also be very mindful of percussion because, um, you know, you want your percussion to develop um, just as well. Um, so, you know, like for me, um, you know, I, I would always make sure to showcase, you know, try to showcase all the instruments that were strong um, and do that. And the second thing I will 
say in regards to programming is um, every year try to program at least one thing new. Um, I know a lot of people do lots of new music. But always try to be conscious of programming at least one thing that's new and also program one thing, uh, not necessarily for festival, but throughout the year, at least one thing that's really old. Uh, so, you know, one of the good, you know, classic War Wars pieces. Expose the kids to everything. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that would be my best advice uh, for programming is just be realistic about your group. Uh, one thing I hear so much at festivals are groups that have just overprogrammed. Um, yeah, you know, I rarely hear groups under program and it's kind of, it's kind of infuriating when you hear people get, you know, get it just right. And everybody goes, Oh, well you could have played harder music. Well, yeah, but they're succeeding at what they program. So I, I would call that success, you know? Absolutely. Now folks, I just opened up the chat. If you have questions, you can start to drop your questions for Mr. Sandridge in the chat and we'll get them to him as best we can. Um, and well, thank you, and uh, please, please feel free to ask anything. You heard the man, anything now. <laughs> uh, but Mr. Stanrich, to, yeah. to start, for, for do you have any reading recommendations or things that you enjoyed reading? Um, yeah. Okay, uh, well, I'll give you uh, uh, recommendations. I'll give you two for, um, for music and then two just for fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to read a book that will absolutely change your life as a band director, <laughs> um, and I again, I'm getting no money for this. I just, I really love this book. Um, there's this book called How to Make First Chair um, by Roberts. Um, if you're not familiar with that book, you need to get familiar with it. Uh, I don't know if it's in print anymore, but I do know that it's available on Kindle. Um, so it's, it's just great. Um, it's basically a guide on how to practice. Um, it, it will change the way you curse. It will change the way you approach teaching sectionals. I mean, it's just, it's the best. Um, the other book I would recommend, and I don't remember the author, but the book is called um, The Band That Took a Chance, and it's about um, Frank Battisti's group um, uh, when he was a, a, a director and um, just everything they did. And the musical experiences he gave those students is just unbelievable. Um, it's, it's a great book. Um, other books for fun. Um, so, of course, I don't know what everybody's tastes are. Um, but uh, my favorite book of all time is this book called The House of Leaves. Um, it's kind of experimental fiction, but it is wild and it is just great. Um, aside from that, my other favorite is The Dark Terries by Stephen King. Um, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, but that, that series is just spectacular. Right on. So we're going to, we're going to go through the chat here and start knocking out some of these questions. Got quite a few. Um, so earlier okay. you talked about uh, like warmups to develop fun or warm using a warmup to help develop fundamental skills. Uh, do you have any examples of warmups that would hit any of those areas? Um, do I, so do I have any, uh, what type of warmups? It, it, the question is, what are your examples of warmups to hit those key areas? Oh, um, well, I, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to give examples, but I mean, I, you know, obviously if, if you have an ensemble book, it's really good to have corrals. Um, but I also like books that don't just have corrals, technical etudes, uh, melodies, things like that. Um, so, uh, I mean, my, my personal one that I used as a director, my, my favorite was Foundations, uh, uh, gosh, Foundations for a Superior Band, um, my mind's drawing a blank right. Your Superior Performance? Um, but that one, and then um, Superior Performance, yes, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I am definitely 43. Um, so, uh, Foundations for Superior Performance is good. Um and I also really like, and I, this is going to sound really opportunistic, but I, I really do like the series. And the only reason I'm prefacing that is because I, I did contribute to it. But the, um, the sound innovations ensemble methods are really good. Um, they've got corrals, they've got melodies, they've got scale exercises. Um, so those are really good too. But I mean, in the interest of full disclosure, I am a contributing author to that. So yeah, just take it with a grain of salt. Um, but um I don't know. The other thing too uh, that I was really big about with uh, warm up is making sure that I had something melodic to work on with all of my students. Um, and 
that was usually things that I would arrange myself. But now I'm talking about in unison, like it was unison melodies. Sometimes it'd be pop songs. Sometimes it would be classical pieces. But we always did that because I wanted, you know, my low brass, my mid voices, everybody to be developing melodic playing because that is how you build stronger players. And that's why it's joined band in the first place. Um, you know, it's just, I, th I think you really need to have that element in to allow kids to express themselves melodically. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like if I were a French horn player, I would not want to go home to the family and just play upbeats for an hour to try to impress mom and dad. <laughs> You're not the only one. That's a real problem. <laughs> Got to get the, give everybody some love on I know, I know. Um, yeah, that's um, so. That's one one of the reasons why I try to write melodic moments for all the instruments in my pieces. I'm not always successful with that, but I try. All right. So the next question up: um, Are you willing to listen and provide feedback to compositions being written? I ask that question a lot, and um, the short answer is no. And I'm sorry if that disappoints people, but the biggest reason is. Um, I mean, I'm, I feel very confident about my composing, but I do not feel confident about giving people advice because, you know, when you give people advice about composing, um, I, in, in a way you're kind of taking responsibility for them. And if your advice turns out bad, um, like, you know, if it doesn't work for them you're kind of responsible for that. And, um, so between that and just the fact that, you know, I don't have a lot of free time outside of my writing. I, I don't. I don't generally give people advice. Um, although now, one thing I will uh, throw out there is that uh, Randall Standards Music, my company that I just started, um, is going to start accepting submissions uh, very soon. Um, and so we'll be happy to look at pieces, um, but we will only be providing feedback for the pieces that we decide to publish. Um, and it's going to be a pretty carefully curated collection. Um, so the, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to be just like, oh, just send it and it's going to get published. I mean, this is going to be a very, like, it's, it's going to have to knock my socks off. All right. Next question. Uh, what are you currently working on? What am I currently working on? Um, well, this time of year, I'm usually working on marching band shows quite a bit. Um, so I've, you know, I've been working on a lot of, uh, a lot of my clients shows, uh, because, you know, we don't know if the fall season is going to happen or not. So we're preparing like it is and making, uh, plans for, you know, just in case it doesn't also. Um, so I'm working on that, but I've always got, you know, I'm always working on some type of concert piece. Um, I try to write on a concert piece at least once a day, even, even during marching season. So, um, the, the project I've got going right now, I've got two going. One is, um, Back, I wrote two symphonic dances uh, called Dance Bohemian, and the other one was called Dance Carnival. And I'm currently working on the third dance. Um, I just had an idea the other day that came to me, and it started. And um, so I'm working on that. And then the other piece I'm working on um, is a, I believe it's going to end up being a grade 1.5 like that, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it's going to be called All That Glitters. And what it is, is it's the next, I mean, it's using this kind of lyrical mixture of texture and also modulating between both uh, major and minor sounds because, you know, the whole saying is all that glitters is not gold. So it's like this kind of, you know, the light and dark of, of any kind of facade. Um, and the challenge with it is going to be that I want to do it within that, you know, very limited range of uh, the voices at that point in their development. Um, so it's, and it's actually coming along really very happy with the progress on it so far. Um, it won't be ready for a while because I'm only getting about um, 30 minutes a day to work on it outside of marching stuff. But just the little bit I've got done, it's, it's sound so far, or at least I think so. That's really exciting, especially for those younger bands. That's awesome. Um, next question here is what is your process when, cre uh, when creating the practice sheets that you provide with many of your pieces? How do you decide on what to include? Um, I do the practice uh, sheets. I, I don't do that with, uh, or I didn't do it with a lot of my pieces before, but I'm starting to more and more. And that is mainly me thinking as a director. Um, what I usually try to do is I, I try to think of like, what would not be in a typical warm-up book, you know, beginner book, ensemble book. Um, so for instance, uh, you know, I, the first one I ever did that with was my piece called Snake Charmer. 
Um, and the reason we included that sheet was because, you know, I mean, you're not going to find that scale in a typical skull sheet or a typical book. Um, so I wanted to provide the directors with a tool that they could use um, because I thought it would facilitate, you know, learning the piece better. Um, with some of the other pieces I've done, you know, some of it, some rhythmic ideas, um, sometimes it's theoretical ideas, but I'm just trying to, to make sure that, you know, that we're addressing the additional aspects of the music. Um, and I think that's just because like I had a very difficult time separating my composer persona from my educator persona. And so, um, that, you know, I just generally just look at the piece and it's like, okay, what would not be in a book or what is the main push of this that we can draw the director's focus on? And so that, that's the reasoning behind it. All right. Next question here says, what piece of yours do you wish was performed more? Um, which piece of mine do I wish was performed more? Um, gosh, that would be, that would be a hard question. I had to, pick, um, I'll pick like two, two or three. Um, definitely. Um, I've got, you know, like I said, one of my newer pieces out, uh, which unfortunately is a grade five, but it, I mean, it's, but it's cool. Um, is that piece Stonewall, Stonewall 1969. I wish it would get played more just cause it's, it's, it's the best I've written. So I'm very proud of it. Um, another piece that I, uh, wish would get, uh, played a little bit more, um, is this piece, uh, that I wrote called Summer Song, um, which is for acoustic guitar and concert band, but it's only a grade two. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's just a special piece to me because it's, um, it's, uh, written for my brother who was a big musical influence for, on me. Um, he plays guitar and so it's, it's got some sentimental value. And then the third one is, um, it's kind of a newer piece, um, but it's a grade one to two ish thing. It's called the Garden Suite, um, which uh, consists of four pieces. Uh, the first one being Frogs, uh, which is kind of like a grade one version of Percy Granger. Not kidding. Um, then uh, March of the Arachnids, uh, Flyleaves. Um, so one thing I've kind of enjoyed experimenting with the last few years is creating large form works for the band because they can do it. It's just, there's just not any repertoire available. Ooh, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I want to dig into frogs because I love the story and I love hearing the story about it, but I want to make sure everybody gets their questions kind of tackled here. It says, I haven't done any of your compositions for beginners. What would you suggest for us? Um, well, beginners, um, the, uh, the easiest pieces I have that I, that I think are, you know, like good, quality and of course it depends on how you're defining beginners because like for some beginners it's grade 0.5 for some it's grade one um i would say you know my most approachable ones are probably um i've got a couple fun pieces with uh with alfred uh one is called half past two um and it's uh it's uh actually designed it's a rock piece but it's designed to teach dotted quarter eighth because you know that eighth is half past um so i wanted to you know i kind of referenced that with the title but it's also kind of a throwback to those um pieces that have numbers in the title you know such as you know 25 or six to four things like that um so that one's pretty approachable and then another one uh is called metal heads uh which is a real fun piece to kind of showcase percussion um and then uh lastly i've got a two new pieces out this year uh one is called uh, The Dragon Lord. And it's actually the first piece in my new series, Darklands pieces, which are gonna be all geared at the one level. Um, another one uh, is uh, called Beginner's Rock, the Rock piece. And then uh, last thing I would say is I wrote a piece that was a little bit controversial this year um, called Starfire Fanfare, um, which I call a grade 1.5. But the thing is it teaches six, eight time at the grade one level and um, has a practice sheet like you were talking about. Uh, but I had so many directors jump on my case. So like, there is no way a six, eight can be a grade one. And I respectfully disagree. Um, I just don't think people have approached it that way in the past. So what I did with the piece is I, you know, really, really limited the rhythmic vocabulary and I really limited the range um, and made the focus on the teaching, you know, six, eight rhythm and it's totally doable. Um, so, uh, so those are the ones I would, I would suggest. Awesome. Uh, for anyone who is new to composing, what are some basics to mapping out a new piece? 
Um, sorry, you're, you're breaking up just a little bit there. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. For anyone who is new to composing, what are some basics to mapping out a new piece? Uh, what are some basics to mapping out a new piece? Um, that, boy, that's a, that's a broad question because that changed so wildly from piece to piece. The biggest thing I would say is to make sure that the piece flows logically from moment to moment um, and that you don't have any idea or anything that overstays its welcome. Um, I rarely hear band pieces that are too short, but I hear a lot of pieces that are too long. Um, and it's just like unnecessary repetition that, that is just pointless and is just taking, you can always tell when somebody was getting written, uh, getting, getting paid to write by the minute, because that's when you get those pieces that are just bloated. Um, so uh, thing is to make sure that, you know, the, the pieces flow logically and are constantly going somewhere, going from, you know, some idea to another idea, putting the audience on a colorful orchestral journey, um, harmonically, melodically, orchestrally. Um, that would be, you know, the biggest thing. I started at, this is the, the question, I started at a small school in Little Rock, Arkansas, similar to where you started. Band was small, fundamentals were lacking. How important do you think it is for school directors to know how to arrange? Well, I mean, you know, it, it just depends. I think, it's, I think it's important for everybody to know how to arrange a, at least a little bit. The biggest thing I would say is it's important for directors to uh, understand the basics of orchestration. Um, I don't think it was as important as understanding orchestration. So uh, for those of you that find yourself in these situations, let me give you the, the best advice I can give you on like when you have to rewrite parts. Okay, because that does happen. You know, sometimes people have to rewrite for different instruments. The, the two biggest things I would say um, is number one, when you rewrite a part, you absolutely, it is so essential for you to preserve the octave identity. Because, you know, like when you put two tones together, if if the way they're written is a fifth apart um, written, but you put them, you know, an octave and a fifth apart, that's going to sound very different. You know, similarly, if you have a third up in the treble voices, that sounds very clean. If you have a third down in the low voices, that's going to sound actually muddy. And um, so preserving the octave identity, however you rearrange it, make sure you preserve the octave identity. Second, try to preserve the timbre as much as possible. So for instance, if it's written for a reed instrument, you go to write it for another reed instrument. If it's a brass instrument, your first go-to should be to write it for another brass instrument. Obviously, sometimes we can't do that, but that should be, you know, you should let the original orchestration guide you as much as possible. And when you can't get it to an instrument that's closed, as long as you're doing the, in, the octave identity, it's going to be the biggest thing. And this, is, this isn't even a question, but thank you, Charity, for pointing this out. Uh, shout out to Michael Ferguson for being in attendance. That's, that's Mr. Standridge's former band director that he talked oh, yeah. about earlier. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so shout out to him. Thank you for being here, Mr. Ferguson. Um, here's the next question. Uh, what repertoire suggestions do you have for a high school micro band or less than 20 kids? Well, one thing I'll do, I, when, if I ever recommend my own stuff, I will always recommend other music as well. Um, so I, cause I like to try to balance that. Um, so out of my personal library for a situation like that, um, I would definitely look at my piece called Little Sweet Friend um, because it's four movements, explores uh, a lot of key signatures, a lot of uh, time signatures, um, but it's very approachable and there's a lot of doubling in it um, and a little less percussion than what I'm usually known for. Um, so that one is, is probably a good bet. Um, I would also check out the Rowan Tree um, which yeah, would fit an instrumentation like that, depending on your strengths. Um, and then I would definitely check out the Garden Consortium because it's written, or the, or the Garden Suite, because it's written you know, with all that in mind. Um, some other pieces that I really like that I performed when I was a director with my band, uh, one of my favorites is Canticle by Douglas Wagner. Um, it's a lyrical piece that is just absolutely beautiful, very approachable, and very musical. Um, I'm also a big fan of Two Minute Symphony by Bob Margolis. I think it's brilliant. Uh, it works really well for a small instrumentation. Um, 
pretty much anything by Anne McGinty. Um, she is the queen of that, and she, she writes fantastic music. Uh, my very favorite of which is The Red Balloon. Um, and now if you've got a small group that is, you know, can play really well, um, there are some pieces out there that are a little bit more challenging that do work for smaller instrumentations. Um, you, I mean, you have to look for them, but you can find them. Uh, some pieces that I think, you know, work for a small instrumentation really well, uh, my favorite is Declaration Overture by Claude T. Smith. Um, when you look at the score, it looks very spread out, but it really works for a small instrumentation really well. Um, so does um, Prairie, David Holsinger, um, let's see, uh, Soldier's Procession and Sword Dance, also by Bob Margolis. Um, so any of those would be fan. And I mean, of course, there's a lot more than that, but those are the ones that immediately jumped to mind. All right. And you, this is a, a shameless, a, another unpaid advertisement. Um, guys, Randall, Stan and this is from the comment section, but I can attest to this as well. Uh, but Mr. Standridge is fabulous about communication, and he's really made himself uh, more than available to us band directors, uh, whether it's getting in touch about asking a question or getting him to come out to clinic as far as contacting him about these things. Um, so if you ever want to, to reach out to him, he's made himself more than available to us in a, in a plethora of ways. So please don't be shy about reaching out. He's really great about communication. Um, yeah, and... Well, yeah, and what I what I always tell people is um, that I I mean I answer every single message that I get. If if for some reason if I didn't answer it, it might have gotten put to my spam filter. I didn't see it, or you know sometimes I'll get message requests on Facebook, and I just don't see them because um, it's not on my friend thing. I try to check those regularly, but I'm not always successful. Um, but I answer every message that I am aware of that I get. Um, sometimes it takes me a few days. Um, because I'm pretty strict about my work-life balance. And like after about, you know, today, but after about six o'clock, um, I just stop work and then it's family. And, uh, but I, you know, it may take me a few days, but I, tr I try to answer everybody as, as soon as I can and try to help them. I'm not always able to help them, but I try, you know. And folks, we're, we're winding down here. So if you have a question, Go ahead and drop it, and we'll take one more question. Uh, in the meantime, Mr. Standridge, can you tell us the story behind Frogs and how that came to be? Oh, yeah. Um, and, it, and it's not a super long story, but um, my parents like to travel a lot, and uh, my mom in particular, um, I mean, keeping in mind I'm 43, but she, you know, she always feels like she has to bring me home something. And uh, so she brought me this frog weirdo, you know, one of the little uh, frogs, that, things that just sounds, uh, you know, makes a frog sound. And so you know, I, she brought it to me and, and I, I, th I thought it was cool. So I had it sitting on my desk and um, I'm a big, big, big Percy Granger fan. Um, so much so that I, uh, one of my dogs is named Molly because one of my favorite pieces is Molly on the shore. Um, so I call her Molly on the floor. Um, but anyway, uh, I was listening to some Granger things and um, I was just thinking that day, I was like, you know, G Percy Granger named one. Like if Percy Granger ever were a grade one, what would that even sound like? And so, you know, there was that. And then I had the frog and the idea to combine those things just came to me. And uh, so I, you know, put out a thing on Facebook just saying, Hey, I'm thinking about writing this grade one. Would anybody like to be part of a consortium? And uh, we had in, ended up having over a hundred schools jump in on it. Um, and which, I mean, I was, first of all, you know, very grateful for because it, you know, to have that outpouring of support for my writing. And then second of all, just to know that there's this hunger for really good quality grade one music. Uh, because grade one music does not have to be boring and it does not have to be simple um, in its construction. There's ways to create it and do it where it's physically valid. Um, and I'm certainly not the only composer that does that, but, you know, but again, you know, see previous comments, there's a lot of bad music out there. So by, you know, me and other people like me that, that know that grade one music can be good uh, are slowly trying to fill in the gap a little bit. All right. Here comes our last question. But before we have our last question, I do want to give a couple quick announcements. Uh, this coming Monday, or I guess next week on Monday, we have, uh, beginner percussion pedagogy with Mr. Eric Rath. That's coming up and that's going to be fantastic. 
And next Thursday, we have uh, a clinic on how to approach your daily drill, your daily warm-up. How, how do you do it? How do you make it sound better? Uh, so those are two fat, and that's with Mr. Rory Davis. So, folks, we have some awesome clinics coming up. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Uh, thank you, Mr. Standridge, for hanging out and spreading your knowledge, man. It's been fantastic. Um, let's get this last no question in, and and I guess we'll go home. I mean, we're, I guess we're already home. Uh, we'll just get off of Zoom. Um, uh, how would we go about getting you to come and clinicking at a school? What about cost? Um, well, it's, uh, I mean, really as far as uh, clinicking goes, it's, it's, I can't really give you the ballpark here because it, it changes from situation to situation. Um, but as far as getting me to do it, it's basically just comes down to scheduling. Uh, generally speaking, if I have time, I'll go out. I mean, unless I've got some things going. Um, and I've done a lot of things where I go out and, you know, spend some time with a group. Um, I actually started doing these things last year that I loved, um, which I called my, um, uh, composer residency project where I'd go in and spend a week with the school and like on Monday um, I would meet with the students we would start brainstorming the piece and then I'd go back to the bell that night again because one thing I'm kind of known for in the band work is I'm a very fast writer like it does not take me long to to write a piece um, so I would go back and, and start writing that and then uh, you know the next day we'd come in we'd read what I have get input from the kids we talk about where the piece needed to go. I'd go do that. And by the end of the week, we would have an entire piece. Um, I did my first one um, with uh, Stalyards Middle School in Houston, Texas last year, and it was a blast. We had so much fun with those kids. Um, I got to, you know, it made me feel like a banker because I got to teach all day. So uh, that, that was a lot of fun. Um, but I mean, I'm, you know, just, just shoot me an email, shoot me a message, and we can look at it. Um, and if it works out, you know, I'm happy to do it. Um, and if it doesn't, I never, never take anything personally. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, 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 so much for being with us, Mr. Standridge. If you like what you heard, subscribe and check out our website, virtualbanddirectorconference.com. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's no stealing in band when you give with an open hand.